0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. With your host, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes.
1: Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode 619 and we're going back to the Moisture Mob series. We've got Roland Vieira calling in from the West Coast. We've got Pete Consigli and Bob Blockinger at the AEML Labs in Florida. So looking forward to a great show. We're going to talk about moisture-related issues affecting wood and concrete substrates and flooring. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They are the reason we're still able to do the show. Our marquee sponsor is Instascope at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association at AIHA.org. The American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists at ACGIH.org. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute at CIRIScience.org. The Indoor Air Quality Association at IAQA.org. The Restoration Industry Association at RestorationIndustry.org. The Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification at iicrc.org and healthy buildings america 2021 at hb2021-america.org industry sponsors are aeml laboratories at aemlinc.com particles plus at particlesplus.com gray wolf sensing solutions at graywolfsensing.com tsi inc at TSI.com and Healthy Indoors Magazine at HealthyIndoors.com.
2: And now
0: you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to Zlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello everyone. Congratulations go out to Victor Gaffaro, Richmond, Virginia, who was first to identify the term aerobiology, which was coined by F.C. Meyer in the 1930s describing a project involving a study of life in the air. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for today, Friday, March 12th, 2021 has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. Here is today's trivia question. In the movie Godfather 1, name the man who stabs Don Corleone's enforcer's hand onto the bar. Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. All right, let's turn it over to the restoration watchdog.
1: Down at the AML Labs to introduce today's guests. Thank you, Joe.
3: Well, good morning, good afternoon, where, wherever you're calling in from. I uh, uh, this is a really special show. I appreciate everybody calling in live. It happened to be over in, uh, in the Fort Lauderdale area. I live on the other side of the state. And uh, Ron Major, AML who sponsors the blog and supporter of the show, is kind enough to let us use the conference room. And Bob Lochinger lives in the area, one of the guests. And, of course, Mr. Roland calling in from San Jose on the left coast. Uh, I think you guys are in for a real treat today with uh, these case studies that they have and a variety of projects, uh, very nice presentations. Also, have uh, Ron's in the room and uh, Mr. Dave Mason. Uh, he's done a couple of IAQ shows is here. So we got a little mini live audience. And I want to thank the two ladies that work uh, with Ron who help with all the logistics and getting everything set up, uh, Samantha and Mimi. I've actually called him, Ron. They said they like the Geek Squad at Best Buy. They come in, they take over, and they get you all set up, and, man, it's just fabulous. So uh, Ron's a very lucky guy. Anyway, with that, um, I'll, uh, I'll see you all for the roundup. I'll be back on for that. And, uh, Mr. Joe, I'm going to turn it over to you, Cliff, and, of course, uh, Mr. John Faith, who can make sure everything works smoothly behind the curtain on the team. All right, let's start with Rowan Vieira. Welcome back to the show, Rowan.
4: Thank you, sir. Glad to be here.
1: Great to have you. Um, what do you mean by forensics, Rowan?
4: Okay, that- forensics, I mean kind of applying a scientific method to the study of whatever. In this case, my specialty is floor covering failures, floor covering performance. So that's what I do. Um, forensics is, is a term that means a scientific study. Um, and uh, when I was searching around for a name for my company uh, fluorine forensics seemed to have a nice alliteration to it. And I kind of liked it. And uh, I uh, kind of shared it with a test group, which at that time was, was my mom and my wife and uh, <laughs> they both liked it. So that's what I went with was flooring forensics. And essentially the idea behind it is we apply the scientific method or you know, something close to a scientific method when we're evaluating the types of problems that I'm called upon to evaluate. What that means is, we means we recognize the problem, we observe the problem and the effects of the problem, we develop a hypothesis as to what is causing or contributing to the problem, and then we set about to prove it. Um, so the proof can, can encompass any number of different things. On smaller, say, a residential project, uh, the proof would essentially be a research of industry literature and knowledge and familiarity with the basic product that, that we're looking at. On larger commercial projects, uh, the proof uh, would would involve lab testing, and we get into some pretty exquisite types of tests to be able to prove what we believe is causing the failure so that in a nutshell i hope that answered your question that's essentially where it comes from
1: okay i i like that that's a great explanation let's let's go over to bob and why don't we john go ahead and start the first case study i want to get right into this and and start to discuss some case studies and we'll go back and forth let's let bob do one and then we'll go back to roland how's that sound bob Good. Got you back. Good to have you back, sir, by the way.
4: Thank you.
2: All
1: right. John, can you put up the first case study? Here we go. All right. So the Bavarian, Bavarian Bob of Blockinger and Company, uh, Boca Raton, Florida. Let's go to the next one, John. Tell us what, oh, Moisture Mob East Coast Enforcer. That's a good one. Next one. Hospital job site. So this is a hospital job site, case study one. Bob, you want to give us a little background on it?
2: Uh, this is currently an ongoing problem. The floor covering is six months service. Uh, these bubbles, which is the close-up <laughs> of the picture, the bubbles appeared about, uh, oh, maybe six weeks ago, and I was hired by the flooring contractor to find out the causation of the bubbles. It's a rubber floor <laughs> on concrete on grade. Okay. Next slide. This is a destructive test of uh, three we did that particular day, and uh, as you can see, the the green S is left over from the raw construction. But on the peeled backing of the vinyl, I mean of the rubber floor, there's a wet spot. Now, what we're looking at is a layer of self-leveling, a layer of floor patch, a layer of a primer, and then the rubber floor, which is a peel-and-stick type of system, it's four feet wide, and uh, at the you'll see in the line to the left top is a heat-weld seam. That's a close-up of the previous picture. There, I'm taking the moisture meter. Um, now, being it self-leveling. The 5.5% moisture content is somewhat skewed because of the properties of self-leveling cement that, that uh, dries within itself, it doesn't evaporate dry. But the main concern I had was the temp, if you look at the, um, the bottom row, the temperature of the slab is close to 69 degrees. And I think the next picture will show the relative humidity sits at 72%, one of them. Um, And the range per pound is high as well. That's the last figure on the right. And the dew point sits at 69. So those are my concerns. Next slide. That's just a close-up of the previous photograph, and it shows the white. Um, I'm not sure what the white is. It's really... uh, It's not part of the self-leveling, so it could be the primer that was used. I'm not certain of what that white is. But as you can see, the rest of it is troweled on floor patch. Now, all these, there's another bubble in another area. This one we also took apart to see what's going on. That's a close-up of that particular area. You can see the little rings of water spots. And I'm calling it water spots versus moisture because this already has turned into a liquid. That's a close-up of the rubber backing, where it's actually wet. And there you see the uh, one of the issues I had. Even though it reads 6.9 percent moisture content, I'm reading through the uh, self-leveling. But your relative humidity at the surface is 70. Your temperature is sixty-nine. Your dew point is fifty-nine, and your grains per pound is seventy-five. To me, uh, those last three are elevated. And there is the floor patch that's cracking on the back of the rubber uh, rubber flooring. There's a close-up of the floor patch that came up and it's attached to the back of the rubber floor. There's another piece we picked up, and you can see the wet spots and the discoloration. Now, before we go to this one, let's go back to that uh, previous slide. The products used here, the self-leveling, is 100% resistant to moisture content and RH. The floor patch is 100% resistant to high elevated uh, RH, and the primer used for the peel and stick rubber floor is also 100% resistant to moisture. So the question begs itself: What happened? Why did all this? Why is there a failure if everything is 100% effective against elevated RH to the point of 100%? And that's the question I was hired to answer. As I said, this is an ongoing case. Okay, next.
0: Do you have the answer or do you have, uh, can you uh, I have right? an
2: I have a projected answer right now. I'm waiting for another meeting between all parties concerned because at this point, everything has been denied. All the products are working as designed, which is a nice phrase. Um, I'm going to the point that this is a two point causation. Not necessarily from the moisture content from the concrete coming up, but a dew point.
0: Okay, so here's the situation, I guess, at that particular point. Then who's responsible for it? Everything's okay, but, you know, we have floor with bubbles. So, you know, who would be responsible? Can you open right. on that?
2: I sort of pointed towards the HVAC system. being uh, It may be operational, but it's not working because we have a dew point problem with a high elevated relative humidity. And uh, when I when I have these sort of cases going on, I always tell the people involved, everybody comes to the table on this. Really, no one is uh, uh, no one is singularly responsible. And, I, and many times, this points to a workmanship issue. And the insurance companies in your insurance liability insurance does not cover workmanship.
4: Did However, you take surface temperature? I'm sorry. Did you take surface temperature?
2: Yes, it was uh,
0: sixty nine. Oh. Okay. How would the HVAC system affect a floor, uh, affect the subfloor underneath a floor that is impervious to moisture?
2: It's not taking out the moisture in the in the room. Now, being this is a hospital, uh, they want to keep the temperature and and other ambient conditions low to you know stop the spread of uh, any particles diseases whatnot so having a high relative humidity is really it's not conducive to the environment and at the okay. the uh, floor covering typically from our side of the fence we want it to be between 45 and 55 percent In this case is sitting at 71 okay problem
0: okay i'm going to ask you a couple questions if you could give me really short answers yes okay um these are from uh These have been texted in. So you said the indoor humidity in the area was what?
2: 71%.
0: 71%. Okay, took care of that one. Um, Would it be a dew point temperature issue at the time of installation? Is that what's affecting it now?
2: uh, I couldn't answer that positively. I wasn't there, and no one recorded anything at the job site at the time.
0: Okay. Uh, What was the T-STAT? setting
2: the what
0: East, I guess thermostat setting do you, do you know
2: no I do not
0: okay and final question what was the indoor dew point and surface temperature if you know that
2: well the indoor dew point was on my um
0: gotcha it was on the meter going okay. on the meter okay
2: I think um, it was uh, 59 59 yeah
0: okay good enough okay do you want to move to the next one sure Okay,
2: Okay. here we have a um, relative humidity of uh, the ambient conditions, 49%, 76 degrees temperature. Uh, The uh, grains per pound at 62 and the dew point at 55. This is a blue down luxury vinyl plank in a school, approximate 30,000 square feet. There's the classroom, there's the uh, adhesive oozing through, and the black is what uh, is is, uh, actually soil that's accumulated on the adhesive. That's just showing the adhesive coming through the joints again. There, I scraped away uh, the adhesive. Uh, that's a black substance on the top of the concrete surface. I do not know what it is, nor does anyone else, because I've asked that a few times. Uh, as You can see the, more, the meter spikes at seven point six point nine percent I was just looking for, that's my black light. I was just looking for uh, anything that may be related that shouldn't be there. There through the window you can see cupping going on.
0: Okay. That was uh that was two. Uh, I'm sorry, is this is this a different study or is this, this that, that next slide said
2: This is number three. I'm
0: confused. Right okay, no, no, I just wanted you to do two. So um don't have any text questions. On that one, can you opine what you think it is? Do you or have you determined what it is, Bob?
2: It's definitely moisture coming through because the uh, in some of the areas, I found the adhesive to be mush. And uh, although the flooring contractor said he took moisture testing, I don't have any records that he sent me. Uh, This case is approximately nine months old, and the HVAC system apparently was working at the time. However, to me, when you have adhesive that turns into mush and it's oozing through, it's a moisture content problem. Somebody didn't do something correctly, such as prepare the floor, the substrate, before they put the vinyl down.
0: We've got a comment from uh, a listener uh, asking, was there a water loss in that area? Uh, He had a similar thing occur uh following a water loss so any anything like that
2: no water loss
0: could this uh, could this occur if you know the floor was heavily cleaned you know if they were using too much moisture you know cleaning the floor and mopping it and maintaining it could if that this closet
2: this can be a maintenance issue related to using a uh, a heavy water-laden mop versus a very damp mop Okay. Uh, it's entirely possible. However, uh, the school is uh, quiet on how they maintain the floors. Gotcha. Uh,
0: and I guess final question on that, I guess, um, how old was the school?
2: This one was basically brand new. Okay,
0: new school. Okay.
4: All right. most, most adhesive manufacturers require that the sulfur be clean. That, that sulfur was not clean, and you don't even know what it is that, that black material is. No, nobody could tell me what it was. So that's that's a big big mistake
0: right
5: there. Okay. All right, so let's switch over. Uh, hey, guys, make a comment real quick. This is William. Hey, William. So what you're looking at the plank, if you can go back to that real quick, uh, that one. So what you're seeing is all of that ick coming up around the plank. So what can happen, I sent it back in a chat, but what you'll see is if water, if you have a high emission rate like this, um, water is going to evaporate through the planks. Um, It'll be drawn up into the air. So as it's being carried through, it can take the solids from the residual adhesive below. Mm -hmm. It'll carry that up through the planks as the water is. So when the water evaporates, the solids are left behind. Mm -hmm. So you got about a 90 percent shot there that even though this is dark um it's just adhesive residue and it turns dark just because of dirt but it'll it'll build up build up build up build up as you have that process going on so most likely that's what you got there
0: thank you okay um let's switch over to let's go to the west coast And let's give control uh, of the studies to John. And then, um, let's, there we go. Perfect. Okay.
4: Looks like one of my studies.
0: That is your study, sir. You want me to go on? Yep, go ahead.
4: Okay, so this endoscopy project, it's a few years old now, and it's all settled and put away. Uh, This involved the failure of sheet vinyl flooring in a medical office. Uh, We did extensive destructive testing. There were probably 22 or 23 experts on this project from different fields all climbing around this place. Um, So we did a lot of destructive testing, including concrete coring, concrete moisture testing, um, you know, the whole ball of wax. What we found was elevated slab moisture, excess of pH, and sources of moisture, including landscaping, poor landscaping, and rainwater runoff. Next. So these are some of the things that we saw. These were the observations that were included this was just as we were getting ready to start our destructive testing so we had identified different areas and we numbered them you have to be very careful when you're doing this because there's so many people there many of them are just there to observe and what you want to do you don't want to hide anything uh, especially in a litigation like this you want to make it as observable as possible for everybody Whether or not they know what they're looking at or not, that's their problem. But you want to make it as observable as possible. So we set out first by identifying the areas that we were going to do destructive testing at. And interestingly, many people have the wrong idea about litigation and discovery. It's not us against them. When the experts are out there on the field, we're all pretty much working together. And while me and my team we had a good sense of where we wanted to do our destructive testing. Uh, We will usually run it by at least the major players on the opposite side to say, this is what we want to do. Do you have any objections or is there someplace else you think? And it's not unusual for us to do some discussion. Ultimately, because my team was paying the bill for this testing, ultimately we're going to get our way. But we don't bulldog our way through it, It's a lot of cooperation that's out there now. if you can see if you look you can see this cottage cheese look I' moving around my mouse as if you guys could see my mouse, you can't but if you see to the right and down that cottage cheese look uh, where it says number two and you can see it over on the other slide says number five closer to the to the front door okay that's a primary manifestation of what we thought we were going to see once we removed the sheet goods. At this point, what we thought we were gonna see was we thought we were gonna see uh, essentially uh, water mixed in with adhesive. So we thought there was gonna be a huge increase in mass beneath the sheet goods. So next slide. <clears throat> oh, holy moly. So this is what we observed as we started to cut away the sheet goods to um, to remove the sheet goods in anticipation of our testing. The uh, residue from beneath the sheet, sheet goods started just oozing out. You can see it there on the left and the right. What that is, is that's water mixed with adhesive residue. Next. Next. And this is with sheet goods pulled over. You can see the picture on the left. I'm not sure which expert that was, but he was pretty impressed with he could get it to stick to his finger. And, in fact, he wanted, I don't know if he wanted a picture of the adhesive on his finger or just his finger, but (laughs) taking pictures there. You can see on the right, okay, that is liquid mixed with adhesive. So, next. Okay, we did some pH testing uh, on this type of thing. I will usually do uh, both a meter and the pH sticks. Um, As you can see, the meter had a pH in the cleaned concrete because we scraped all that crap away of uh, 11. And you can see that this is pretty much borne out on the pH sticks. Uh, We also did do a pH reading of the, uh, of the liquid, uh, that adhesive and liquid that was all mixed together. I don't have a picture of those results, but the pH of that was between 11 and 12. Next. Uh, as you can see, uh, concrete and counter meter were over five on the concrete. That was actually lower than what I had expected because that concrete has been covered for many years with the sheet goods, which is an impervious material. And I really thought that using the meter, we were gonna spike on the concrete and we didn't. It was still high, but we didn't spike. Now we found a sand layer that was in direct contact with the slab underneath the slab. That is sand that you're looking at. And as you can see, that sand is wet. We eventually did an oven dry method. I collected sand samples. I put it in a glass jar and then we did an oven dry test. I had one of the geotechs that was on the job on my team do it. And that sand came out to be almost 14% um, moisture when we did a gravimetric test on it. Next Okay, so that's the end of that project. The bottom line was on that project, we had uh, elevated moisture. Um, It caused the failure of the adhesive that was beneath the sheet goods. Um, The uh, source of the moisture, we believe, or we came to the conclusion that it was just poor drainage and poor landscaping all the way around that was continuing to recharge the slab. Mm -hmm. Typically um, American concrete Institute um, specifies that your concrete moisture barrier should be in direct contact with the slab that wasn't done here. So the uh, sand blotter layer directly beneath the concrete was the perfect vehicle for moisture to travel and to contaminate the entire slab. Uh, Luckily, we finally got it squared away, took care of all the problems. Um, The endoscopy center was actually the reason why they finally decided to to pursue this is because they were at risk of losing their license because of the condition of the floor. And uh, it's all been taken care of. They took care of the problem and they're happily doing whatever endoscopy people do.
0: Okay, Uh, we've got a couple of questions uh, from listeners. Um, Do you know the age of the concrete by any chance uh, in the endoscopy project?
4: Yeah, on that endoscopy, by the time we got there, that slab was about six years old. Okay. Fairly young slab.
0: Okay. All right, with no further questions, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and take our halftime break, and and when we come back, uh, we'll cue up your next uh, project. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thank you.
1: Our marquee sponsor, Instascope. More jobs done faster with the future of IAQ assessment technology. Unlimited samples, instant results, and cloud-based data at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, a Healthier World, at AIHA.org. ACGIH advancing careers of professionals in environmental health industrial hygiene and safety interested in defining their science at acgih.org the cleaning industry research institute see more deeply through science and research at ciriscience.org the indoor air quality association Promoting the exchange of indoor environmental quality information through education and research at IAQA.org. The Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry, network with leaders at restorationindustry.org. The IICRC, a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry at iicrc.org and healthy buildings america 2021 in honolulu hawaii november 9 through 11 at hb 2021-america.org iaq radio industry sponsors are aeml laboratories free shipping great pricing Same-day results with no rush fee at AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus, feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us at ParticlesPlus.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, over 20 years manufacturing accurate, reliable IAQ instrumentation for portable, short-term, and continuous monitoring at Sensing. TSI Inc. An industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers
0: at HealthyIndoors.com. Okay. Um, I just want to go over uh, the chat a little bit. We had some questions, some chat questions, which you answered, and I'll just pose you the question, and you've already answered these, but I wanted to get this uh, onto the recording uh, if we could. I guess one of the questions is, wouldn't a vapor barrier uh, be required in, in this situation?
4: Yeah, a vapor barrier is required, and a vapor barrier was there. It's just not shown in the photos. The vapor barrier was placed beneath the sand layer. Okay,
0: gotcha. All right. Um, let's see. How was the problem corrected?
4: So um, it was an expensive correction. What we did, or actually, what we agreed to pay for um, is um, all of the exterior landscaping and irrigation problems were corrected um, through the addition of of drainage, drain channels, and uh, irrigation moisture control systems. And interior, all the existing floor was removed. Um, The slab was prepared via shot blasting. A two-part epoxy coating was applied to the top of the concrete. And then the finished floor system was rebuilt on top of that
0: okay one final question getting back to the moisture barrier again uh is it unusual to put uh a moisture barrier uh and then put sand on top of it is that unusual
4: it is not unusual and in fact in california that's the way it's been done for years and years okay it's Uh, not correct it's not the right way to do uh and the ACI says, don't do that. And the ACI has said that, I think, since 2002, 2003, something like that. It's like, do not do that. But a lot of architects um, don't like to the vapor barrier going directly underneath the slab because they believe it leads to other problems, such as as uh, curling and stuff like that. Um, okay. So.
0: All right. Perfect. Um, let's do your next study.
4: Okay there library. This, yeah this was a uh, a library um this was not a california project uh but this was a project i enjoyed immensely um i don't know why you just have some of those projects that are just fun so the uh this was a carpet tile installation and the complaint was odor um carpet tile vinyl backing uh, we did our discovery, which was our moisture testing and blah, 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 blah. And uh, we found that slab moisture was within acceptable ranges, kind of. Uh, but we found pH was far in excess of manufacture. <laughs> um, ultimately, we identified the cause as excess of alkalinity, which was activated by uh moisture vapor movement, it was minor movement, but it was movement to the slab surface, caused the hydrolysis of the carpet backing or the adhesive, Um, and when that happens, you'll end up with the release of different alcohols. Those alcohols cause a funky odor, and it was that odor that everybody was complaining about. Um, So um, go ahead, next slide. So this was interesting. Um, We were, uh, the first thing we discovered, and we discovered this accidentally because we had a hard time of of having uh, the, the site plans available to us. Whenever you're working with a government entity, things don't always come very quick. but. We had discovered we were going to go ahead and do a concrete core. And the reason why we discovered is because there was an underground garage, which was directly underneath the library. So in other words, we're in a room that has a whole bunch of books and there's parking directly underneath us. And the people in the parking lot kept complaining that the roof was leaking. Well, the roof shouldn't be leaking because the only thing above that was the library. So we Essentially, did a couple concrete cores, and we discovered this foam layer that was in between two concrete slabs—the slab that made the floor and the slab that made the roof to the parking garage. And it's not shown here. Uh, you can see the foam itself is pretty wet. And what we ultimately <coughs> discovered was this void where the foam was was just a space that was in some areas filled with water. Next slide. So um, as you can see, again, surface pH, um, and you can see it's elevated. The meter shows a little over 11. Uh, the paper shows a little over 11. Uh, that was far in excess of where the manufacturer needed it to be. Now, the manufacturer at this case had specified, I think, a maximum pH of 10, Um so this would be if we're at uh let's say 11 and a half and they want 10 we're 10 and a half times because ph is a logarithmic scale we're 10 and a half times over what the manufacturer wanted the next slide okay so now obviously i couldn't show you a picture of the odor on that that last project you just it's kind of like trying to take a picture of noise you can't do that either Um, but that was essentially that was was that project
0: okay Uh, let's see if we have any chat questions to that let me see seeing none Um, Okay. Here we go. All right. So where was the water coming from, was one of the questions in in the library situation.
4: Okay. So um, the water was coming from a faulty roof drain. And they had these drains from the roof that were going down within the exterior walls and then draining out to the exterior of the building. And apparently a couple of those drains were not properly sealed and they were leaking water into this cavity and that's that was the source of the water so it was rainwater
0: okay then what was the fix
4: uh the fix was they corrected the water they put down a a, uh moisture vapor system uh vapor slash ph system that was going to be able to control the ph and then they reinstalled the carpet tile now this particular carpet manufacturer um said listen if you guys take care of that okay we're going to give you all of the carpet tile for free okay you guys and we're even going to take the carpet tile that you pull up and we're going to dispose of it for you Mm -hmm. and we're going to give you all new carpet tile we're not going to pay to have it installed but we're going to give you all new carpet tile. And that's the way it was ultimately settled.
0: Uh, I, I guess one final question on this. How did you trace the, uh, the moisture back to the drain?
4: Actually, the good news is I didn't. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was part of a team and, okay. and I was retained. Um, and again, going back to even that first case study that I presented, these things t- typically are multiple issues. Tell <laughs> them that things like this are a single issue. And so I was part of a team and I worked with uh actually there was a, a landscaping uh expert and there was a geotechnical expert and there was an architectural expert um that were out there on this whole thing. And so while I was working on the inside of the building, some of the others were working down in the parking garage trying to figure out what the heck's going on.
0: Okay. All right. I think what I want to do at this point is I want to go back to Bob. And Bob, one of the things that uh, we wanted to do in the first half of the show was to ask you to comment on your, um, what, what you feel forensics is, you know, your definition of that term or how, how you look at it.
2: Forensics is the backside view looking into a problem. That has, in fact, it's a negative problem. Uh, Research, deductive reasoning, anything you need to do to find out the causation of the person's issue or the flooring issue, in uh, within my scope, uh, I'm asked to go find out why this is happening to my floor. (coughs) And as in forensics, accounting, you look back on everything that's possible. You observe, you collect information, you do destructive testing with permission, you use your meters, your lasers, your levels, whatever it takes. You interview the uh, people involved, such as the dealer, the specifier, the architect, the designer, the homeowner, the general contractor, the flooring contractor. And you. Could, and after you interviewed everyone, of course, separately, you come up with a conclusion based on what you found to be the uh, problem. And To me, that's forensics. Anything that you go back to, find out why and how come.
0: Uh, While I still have you, um, a couple of, you know, Roland had some suggestions uh, in terms of You know, in in going over your project, he added some good input about possibilities and things and so on and so forth. I wondered on his two projects, whether, uh, you know, looking back on them, we had the library. And before that, we had the uh, endoscopy project, whether uh, there was anything that you saw, uh, you know, on those two projects that he didn't mention.
2: No, on the first one, uh, I had interest into why there's sand. On top of uh, the right. polypropylene, which here right. in Florida is a is a big deal if you don't put down right. polypropylene first, because right. all we right. got is sand anyways. Right. And uh, other than that, on the first one, I uh, no, no. And the okay. second one, uh, again, what he showed with the uh, the adhesive yeah. turning to mush and whatnot, we have the same thing here. So there's nothing different that I saw that I didn't do or do here. Okay.
0: A couple other text questions. Um, this was Bob's case. How did the water get under the tile if it didn't come from the concrete slab?
2: To about the first one where I call the dew point. Yes. It's, it's just a matter of your concrete. Uh, typically our concrete sits from 68 to 72 as far as surface temperature. Mm-hmm. And, the, in this one, it was at 69 with the, uh, when I used the, thermo- the laser thermometer, um, and you have all these impervious to moisture products on the floor, but your relative humidity is high and that creates dew point. So if the products are working as designed, coming, you know, protecting the, uh, the floor covering from moisture within the concrete, it's not coming from below, it's coming from above and above. And that's, to me, that's the uh, definition of dew point. There's, you collect water where there is no water because you have the changing of the vapor into a liquid. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Uh, let's see uh, another listener comment. Uh, in, in both of your situations, you both demonstrated uh, how scientific method. Uh, performed by multiple disciplinary teams <laughs> helpful uh, were there uh, any health issues did you bring any industrial hygienists or were they involved in any of these projects
4: not in mine
0: okay
2: rolling
4: no, not in mine either
0: okay um, two other comments and then we're going to go to the roundup uh, one question was was the Uh, I guess this was the concrete abnormally heated. I guess in any of these situations, I'm not sure which one he specifically uh, is commenting on.
2: Well, for mine, it was a hospital on grade, approximately 40 years old. Plus, Um, it was a uh, the emergency room unit, Mm -hmm. and the it was a huge river, perhaps 100 feet away from the hospital. And the hospital is elevated about thirty feet on a cliff. So as far as being heated, no. There's no heated. We don't have heated floors in Florida.
0: Okay. One other just general comment by a listener was that uh, foam can typically be applied on ceilings and underground parking to help insulated uh, insulating the subfloor. Above John, let's do a roundup. <laughs>
3: Keep moving,
1: moving, movin'. Oh
3: they're to Keep them doggies
0: movin' Okay, but, Pete, I will defer to you first.
3: Yeah, listen, I I love I love hearing that music. Uh, yeah, so that 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 was um that was Salazo, the Turk. He was <laughs> the one. He, he, but put, but, he but somebody beats it to
0: fish. it. That's right. A
3: trivia question. Lapiteer jumped right in. He was all over that one. That's right. Yeah, you know, I think we
4: gotta. We're gonna
3: to have to ban Lapiteer and Don Weeks from these trivia things because it's like they they, they seem to be the guys rotating back and forth. They I think it's some other guys like an opportunity. Um. So listen, I, I have a couple of comments, but the one thing I guess, and maybe some of the viewers don't know this, but I, I think. Uh, the whole IEQ radio team and our, with our two enforcers, we bit off more than we can chew because um, how many case studies that we actually do? We did uh, each of H the guys did, did two. two each? Right. Right. So we had a lot of time and weren't quite sure, but we have six case studies each guy did that we were going to do two, 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 two. But, of course, with such a, you know, high level live audience, very sophisticated with all the questions. It was very interactive. We didn't get to them. So what I'm going to throw out to the team is I'm going to basically say, you know, maybe we need to do an enforcer part two and uh, do these case studies. I mean, both Roland and Bob put a lot of time into these studies. And this, there's a whole bunch more, even I don't want to say better than these. Is they're just different mm-hmm. on all kinds of commercial projects, East Coast, West Coast which seemed to me that you know our audience is very interested in this type of stuff and it's good. So for whatever that's worth, I'll leave that to you there, Mr. Radio Joe, because you kind of handle all that stuff. Okay. And that allows me to segue into a couple of comments that I wanted to make. And uh, one of them is, and I don't know whether the loyal group of listeners who call in all the time, um, I, I think that if you guys uh, have been noticing lately, we send two, the, two emails out a week, and one of the things that we started to integrate in there now is a little thing called "Coming Soon" or "Coming Attractions." So what happens is, as we start to book some of these shows out to get them on the calendar, and you know the guests they don't always have availability on the Friday at noon. You know we're starting to list the dates ahead of time. So when we know the interesting shows, those of you guys that want to call in live, particularly as we move more to doing these case study models. Um, you'll have an opportunity to say, oh, you know what, that's three weeks away. I'm going to put this down and reserve that hour or so on that day where you can actually call in. So having said that, we, we have a couple of three interesting shows that are going to be coming up. One of them is going to be on May 7th, and I'm, one of our sponsors is Siri. As many of you know, John, John done a wonderful job with them, and they, their journal just came out you Go to the Siri website but uh, Dr. Bad Moon Rising, he's been on the show a few times. He, they just published his paper on the use of ATP in the restoration industry. And it was written specifically to restorers. It's kind of the, the use and the misuse. And there's some very interesting stuff. And quite frankly, a lot of you guys that are on this call, particularly the CIH guys, You will be very interested in this. One of the things that I asked John, we've actually booked Ralph on the 7th. That was the first available date he had. And I I asked John, in the article is a bunch of graphs and charts that Ralph used from his research. And I'm hoping we'll be able to use those in the PowerPoint and put them up here. So when Ralph talks about them, I think it'll be a very interesting show. We're also going to be booking a show with Mr. John Lapiter, who's on here. And John T. Hall. We did a great show with him last year. He's a roofing guy from Pensacola. And many years worked with Sherman Williams, and uh, we're going to do a, a part two on roofing, dealing with the wet roofs, drying out roofs for fixes, and that's going to be like pre-hurricane season. You know, where a lot of that stuff in the in Texas and Florida, the Carolinas, the hurricane states. So uh, John's going to talk a little bit about what's happening in Florida, and uh, uh, John Lafontaine and John T. Hall, of course, he'll talk with the bigger stuff. From industry, And then we're also been waiting for a while to get Stephen Richford, who's from the UK. He's a technical guy for many years there. He's been involved with the REA for many years. And we're trying to get him booked here in the next month or two to give a global perspective of a lot of these type of issues, dealing with the moisture, the technical issues from the UK perspective. So we'll keep you posted on all all those as they come out. And, um, you know, just kind of stay tuned to that. And, uh, you know, let, let us kind of know, let Joe, Cliff, let, let them know, like, what kind of stuff you want to see, push the envelope, and how can we better serve the audience? You know, everybody knows there's nobody that does these blogs like Cliff. These blogs are just such great technical resources with the links and everything's in there. So, really, I just want to, at this point, I really want to thank all the hard work that Roland and Bob did to put these presentations together. And yeah, I can already see we got at least one comment there. Mr. Lucas Jenkins, uh, you know, he, he's got the vote, but uh, you know, Terry weighed in, you know, we'll do another session on this. That's it guys. You know, we, we like you weighing in and uh, book it when we book it, we've already got the work done. a matter of fact, Joe, you won't even have to do anything for that. All you have to do is put part two in forces. We don't have to, we don't have to do any more copy or work. It's like we already did the work it'll be great. And, um, you know, I'll probably, I'll probably, I don't know that I'll be at the AML lab. I'll probably be at my home back in Naples, but, um, these guys really did a wonderful job. And uh, I guess I'll just, I'll give one of these little deals, you know, like that. And uh, with that, you know, with Cliff and uh, Roland, thank you. Mr. Bobby's right here. Ron, thank you for the room. And, uh, and John behind the camera, you, you do a great job of keeping everything rolling. And, uh, and with that, I'll turn it back to you, Mr. Radio Joe. Thank okay. You. But I
0: want to go to Roland for, you. for his final comments.
4: All right. Well, first of all, thank you very much. I enjoyed myself just like I always do um, whenever I'm with you gentlemen. Um, So thank you very much. I did want to make one final comment, lest any of you get the uh, improper impression that every failure is moisture. Every failure is not moisture. Mm -hmm. We happen to highlight some moisture-related failures for you here today, but a lot of my work does not involve a moisture related failure. Uh, There are product failures, believe it or not. And there are installation failures. And many times moisture is pointed as the primary boogaboo because it is the 900 pound gorilla in the room, but it's just easy to point to that and say, it must be moisture, I'm walking, it's not my problem. Well, in fact, no, 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 that might be a secondary or a tertiary cause, but that's not the primary cause of the failure. It's important that you don't get stuck in the mindset of it was moisture.
0: Thank you. Okay, Robert, any final comments?
4: I agree with Roland,
2: and uh, many times I find, it's not many times, but there are times when it's a wrong specification of product for usage. hmm Anything else? Thank you all for the work you've done. Pete, you did a great job. Putting my pictures in order. I appreciate that because I'm not a computer, geek, And I don't like of that. You all have a good day.
0: Okay. Well, our thanks to this week's guests, Roland Vieira, Bob Lockinger, uh, my co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, John, you got to have faith, the global watchdog, Pete Kinsigli, and, of course, uh, you, our audience, without you, and this group of loyal listeners, uh, you know, we couldn't do the show. Next week, we welcome Steve Caulfield, uh, P-E-C-I-H. Uh, he's going to be discussing the newly revised Green Book, Recognition, Evaluation, and Control of Indoor Mold. See you next week. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.